Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. Once there was a man who took a small vine from the desert and replanted it in a fertile, lush land. And he took great care to ensure that the vine had all that it needed to grow and thrive. He cleared a place for it in the lush land. He removed all the rocks and the weeds. He tilled the land and he planted it deep and strong. And he watered it regularly. And soon that vine became a vineyard. He built a wall all around it to protect it from the creatures of the land that would want to get in and eat its leaves and its fruit. And he watched over the, the vineyard day and night, always there with the vineyard. The vineyard grew and grew under the attentive care of the gardener producing branches and sending out shoots throughout the fertile land. In fact, it filled the land. It grew to the very reaches of the land. And it grew so tall that it shaded the whole land. Not only was it big, but just as it was intended to do, it produced a lot of fruit. But eventually... Even with the gardener's attention and care, the vineyard went wild and corrupt. It produced thorns and briars that overran the rest of the vineyard, and it even overran the land. The vineyard grew a fungus that spread throughout, wreaking havoc on the vines and killing off the fruit. Whatever was left was just poisonous. The the gardener did all that he could, but soon he knew it was a lost cause. So he broke down the wall that was there to protect the vineyard. He let the animals and the creatures of the land come in and devour the vineyard. And after they had done so, the gardener ripped out what was left of the vineyard and threw it in the wilderness. But he always held out hope that he would replant it someday and that it would flourish. We're getting really close now to the end of our series through the Gospel of John called Encountering Jesus. We've been looking at the metaphors that Jesus and John use to describe who Jesus is. And today we're going to see Jesus as the vine. Chris is going to be doing our reading of scripture for the day. Our passage is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. But Chris is going to just be reading verses 1 through 7. So I would encourage you to have your Bibles out if you want to catch the rest of the passage. Our scripture today is found in John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things I love so much about this study in the Gospel of John is that all the metaphors to describe Jesus are so deeply and richly based in the Old Testament. I mean, five simple words from Jesus are like five drops of water that carry the rich meaning of a river that has flowed through the Hebrew Bible. I think I've said this to you before, and I'll probably just keep saying it to you. If you want to know your New Testament, really well, then you need to know your Old Testament really well. And in particular, you need to know the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, really well. They are the foundation on which the rest of the Bible is written. And the New Testament writers, as they're writing, they're constantly drawing meaning from the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's not the only vine, though. Israel was frequently called a vine in the Old Testament. In places like Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and in the book of Psalms. Like in Psalm 80, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. The vine of the past didn't work out though. It didn't bear the fruit that God, the gardener, had intended for it to do. But Jesus, Jesus is the true vine. He fulfills what the Israelites were supposed to be, just as he fulfills what humanity was always supposed to be. You and I are made in the image of God. Jesus, though, is the true image of God that we are being transformed into, the one who lives his life fulfilling the purposes of God, doing God's will, the things that God desires, while perfectly resting in God's love. This true vine is a giver of life. The branches that are attached to it receive their life from the vine and bear fruit as a result of that life. Have you noticed uh, how significant the theme of life is in all of the metaphors that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John? I mean, there's, there's Jesus is the word of life, Jesus as the temple is resurrected back to life. 
Jesus, as the well, springs forth living water that leads to eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of life. Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his own life so that we can have life to the full. And now, as the true vine, he gives life to the branches that grow from him. And that life has a purpose. So how does a disciple, how do you and I, how do we receive that life? Well, we receive it by remaining in him. Anyone who reads this passage can probably pick up on that. The word remain appears 11 times in this passage. And the second part of that phrase, in me or in you, appears 14 times in this passage. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Or in another popular translation, abide in me. The word here, in case you're interested, is meno. And it's a really common word. It's used throughout the New Testament. John uses it frequently in his gospel, but this is the most concentrated place for it. Now here it's being used in a metaphorical way for how we relate to Jesus, but it would also be a word that you would just use in everyday language. It means things like stay, as in stay back, or often it has the sense of continuing something. Like when Jesus is talking about himself as the bread of life, he says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures um, to eternal life. That word for endures is meno. It also very often carries the sense of dwelling, where, where a person resides, where they take up residency. Like earlier in John, when people were first starting to follow Jesus, some of them asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you residing? In fact, in the first English translation of the Bible, the Wycliffe Bible from 1382, we're reaching way back now, they translated it with this sense for John 15. He that dwelleth in me and I in him, this beareth much fruit. English was a little bit different back then. It's this sense of residing that fits so well with what Jesus is saying in John 15. He's not just saying, stay with me. And he's not only saying, continue with me. Jesus says, dwell with me and I will dwell with you. Live in me and I will live in you. Now, within the same setting of John 15, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. That's chapters 13 through 17. It's all one conversation that took place on one evening. It's the same evening that Jesus, wa Jesus washed the disciples' feet and also shared the Last Supper with them. On that same night, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The word for home here is monet, and it's from the same root word as meno, to remain, to dwell. I mean, the offer that Jesus is making here is it's astounding. And really, it's, 
It's very moving. I mean, we're talking about God. He's far greater than we can truly comprehend. He's the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. He's highly exalted. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the Almighty. He's other than the material world. In theological terms, we call this God's transcendence. He transcends, he goes beyond our time and space. Now, sometimes we have a temptation to focus on this aspect of God. It makes him feel distant, unknowable, unsearchable, maybe uncaring, not because he's uncaring in his nature, but why would he care? <laughs> why would he care about little old you or me? And we know that God's great and powerful, but maybe that becomes the dominant view of God that we have. He's the Lord. He's the Almighty. But what if it's true that he wants to make his home with you? That as great and awesome as he is, and he is indeed the Almighty, that he wants to still be so intimately connected with you in time and space that he would use the language of living in you. Theologically, this is what we call God's imminence, that even though we have some sense of God being so cosmically huge, he still would want to inhabit you and invite you to inhabit him. There's a mystery here, and I'm guessing that even God feels the tension of this mystery sometimes, like in this comic. God says, but I'm omnipresent. And his angel replies, apparently it's not enough anymore. Nowadays, you've got to have a website as well. Maybe we've heard something like this so many times that God wants to have a personal relationship with us that it ends up sounding a little bit cliche. But if we engage our imaginations in this idea that God is highly exalted, seemingly outside of our reality, and yet wants to nurture and care for you like a tender plant, I think it would capture our wonder. I think it would capture our hearts and would actually cause us to rethink how we live each day of our lives, to see that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we've been given a life that is significant every single day. Now, all of that is based in God's love. Jesus goes on to say in this passage, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We aren't just to remain in Jesus. We are to remain in his love. That is, we are to dwell in the love of Jesus. This is the same love, the exact same love that the Father has for Jesus, that Jesus also has for us. What would your day look like? 
How would you feel at the end of your day if you could say that you dwelled in the love of Jesus, that you lived in the love of Jesus, that his love inhabited you? I mean, it'd be like someone asking you at the end of the day, what was your day like? And you could respond, today I dwelled in the love of Jesus. I want to be able to say that. I want to hear that from you sometime as well. It makes me think of Psalm 32. Many are the woes of the wicked, but Yahweh's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Any love that we choose, or any life that we choose apart from this, apart from the vine, isn't real life. It isn't the life that God provides and intends for us to live, fulfilling his purpose and dwelling in his love. And of course, the way that we dwell, the way that we remain in Jesus and in his love is through his word. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I know we all have a different relationship with the Bible. That book can sometimes be peripheral to us. It's on the edge of our lives. Or it can be something to be mastered, something that we take power over. It's something maybe that is ritualistic for us. That is, it it holds an obligation for us. Or it can be something that's internalized, something that inhabits our being. That's what Jesus is talking about here, that his words have shaped who we are right down to our core beliefs. If my words dwell in you, these words, if they take up residence in your minds and hearts and souls, if they don't feel like something out there, something that's other, but something in here, it will fundamentally change who we are, where the things that we wish, that we want, that we desire, become the things that God wants and is ready to give to us when we ask. St. John of the Cross, he was a 16th century Spanish priest and mystic, said, nothing is obtained from God except by love. Now, it's also the spirit that helps us to dwell in Jesus. Sandwiched around this particular passage from John 14 to the end of John 15, Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit as a counselor, a helper, and an advocate for us. He says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Those words of mine that need to dwell in you, the Spirit will help to make that happen. Now you may be saying, well, that's all fine, Mike, 
But what's all of this about pruning and some branches being thrown into a fire? Jesus said, he cuts off, that is the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will, it will bear even more fruit. Now, for about seven years, I did yard work for my grandfather-in-law. We call him Poppy. It all started when I was in college, and after I graduated, I just kept doing it for about seven years. Almost every week, I would go over, over to his house. I would mow the lawn. I would clean the gutters, clean off his roof, clean up the leaves. I would move things in his house. I would do a lot of kind of like the seasonal change things that you would have to do around a home. In fact, that experience really taught me how to care for my own home. I learned a lot through all of that. Now, there were some things that Poppy didn't really care about. Like he would say, go out and trim that, that bush out there. And I'd be like, how do I trim it? He'd be like, I don't know. Just go whack it down. He just didn't care. But his roses, he did care about. He had about 20 or 25 rose bushes that were right along the edge of his driveway. And he was really particular about how they got pruned to the point where he would often go out there after I had done the work and he would correct the work that I had done. Now, the thing about roses is that they can become a huge tangled mess if you don't prune them. And when you do prune them, you really have to prune them. You have to watch out for all the branches that are starting to grow inward because they'll block the space of other branches and keep them from producing flowers. And you have to watch for suckers, those extra branches that spread, sprout out that will never produce a flower but will suck the life out of all the other good branches that would produce a flower. Now, at the end of the season, a big rosebush gets hacked down to something that's just a few bare branches sticking out of the ground, no higher than my knee. The healthiest thing for a rose is for them to undergo some serious pruning. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we know that the healthiest thing in our own lives is that we undergo some pruning as well. John, I've heard that at the age of 50, that's really when that pruning starts kicking in. Sorry to warn you about that. Now, the parts of our lives that tangle up all the good things, even though they're not bad in themselves, they probably have to be taken out. The parts of our lives that are actually just dead or dying or maybe bring death to us in some form or fashion, you know what I mean, those things that are not life-giving, they're actually life-depleting for us, but we keep going back to them because they offer us some sort of relief or pleasure. They scratch some sort of itch for us. Those often need to be taken out as well. There are the parts of our lives that seem fine but don't actually produce any fruit. That is, they don't produce more life for ourselves or for others. Sometimes those things need to be pulled out so that the things in our lives that do produce more life for ourselves and for others can grow more freely. Every day, God gives us an invitation to dwell in him and in his love. And every day, almost every day, there's an invitation 
to accept the pruning work that the gardener is doing in our lives. As we let his word dwell in us, and as we're attentive to the Holy Spirit in our lives, the daily experiences that we have, especially the hard ones, the difficult ones, are used by the gardener to shape our branch, to shape who we are, so that we can fulfill the life, the purpose that he's given to us. But pruning requires an openness from us because we also have the power to turn away from it, to reject it. But in doing so, we're gradually turning away from and rejecting the life of the vine. N.T. Wright says, branches that decide to go it alone, to try living without the life of the vine, soon discover their mistake. They wither and die and are good for nothing but the fire. But branches that remain in the vine and submit to the pruner's knife when necessary, live and bear fruit. That is the prospect that Jesus holds out to his followers, to all of us. Now, if you cringe a little at the mention of cutting off branches and throwing them in the fire, let me just say that I don't think God is going crazy with the pruning shears. Jesus said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He's not driving anyone away. He hopes that every branch will bear fruit, would draw from his life and produce new life. And as long as there is life in a branch, I think he's pruning it to help it bear fruit, to live out the purpose that he created it for. He's a patient, caring gardener who wants a really big harvest. And he intends for us to bear fruit, in case you couldn't tell from this passage. Almost as many times as Jesus uses the word remains, he uses the word fruit in this passage. Now, personally, this passage has always kind of had a sense for me of, of like resting and waiting, communing with God, of letting God do the work. And those things are definitely there. But this passage also has the language of a commission. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We are to remain in Jesus and we are to go bear fruit. God gives us life through the vine, but he does so for a purpose, that we would produce life as well in ourselves and for others. The more connected we are to the life of Jesus, to the life of the vine, and the more we are open to the pruning work of God, the gardener, the more fruitful our lives will be. What is the fruit, though? I mean, like, are we a, am I a pomegranate? 
Are you a fig? Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Just as the life that we have in God is based in his love, the fruit that we produce from that life is also based in love. In fact, there's no fruit apart from the love for others. The Apostle Paul wrote, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. As I experience dwelling in the love of God and receiving his life, the natural outworking of that is a deeper and truer love for other people. That is what God has purposed for us to do. That's why when I'm lacking love for others, it's a sign for me that I'm not dwelling in Christ. And there's probably something in my life that needs to be pruned away. N.T. Wright, again, says on this passage, love makes both the lover and the beloved more truly human. We live out our purpose in life from God when we love others well. This fruit that we should bear, Jesus says in verse 16, is fruit that will last. That phrase that will last is the word meno, to remain, to dwell. The fruit carries the same characteristics as our relation to Jesus. We remain in him and our fruit remains in the life of others. That gives it a sense of this fruit that we bear has the potential of having an eternal impact. Whether that means sharing the words of Jesus so that they can dwell in the life of another person, or if it means something else, it at least reflects that you have the potential of extending the life of Jesus to another person in such a way that it can have, it can it really change them for the rest of their life. Now, the cool thing about this is that that doesn't mean that it has to be some big dramatic thing that you do. Every day, we may be given the opportunity to bear fruit as we experience the life of Jesus and live it out in the presence of others. Paul's letter to the Ephesians says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, fruit, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about the people that you have seen bear fruit in the lives of others. I think about the 30 or so people who are here a few weeks ago on a Saturday to help out our community in our neighbor to neighbor program. I think about my brother-in-law 
who, when I first came to faith in Jesus, met with me weekly to help me understand what the message of Jesus really was and how to make it dwell in my life. I think about my wife who devotes so much energy to nurturing our kids so they have the potential to grow to be a healthy branch on the vine of Jesus. I think about Nathan, our student pastor here, who faithfully meets with a woman in our congregation every week to help her with her needs. There's probably a lot more examples that we can come up with. I know I can, and I'm sure you can as well. But what I know about this fruit, though, is that it's got to be the real deal. You can't put fruit on a vine. It has to grow from the vine. The other day I was looking out the window into our backyard and I saw one of our trees, which didn't even have any leaves on it yet, had all of these beautiful, bright, yellow um, flowers blossoming all over it. And then I took a closer look and I realized that actually my kids had pulled daisies from all over the yard and just strategically placed them all over this bare tree. They do this kind of thing every year. It looks nice for a moment, but it's not going to last. And we can manufacture our own fruit, but it won't be lasting fruit. And frankly, it might even stink a little bit. I don't know. Going to bear fruit happens as a result of dwelling in the love and life of Jesus. I want to wrap up with this. I, I just want you to see like what I hope you can take away from this message, from this passage in Scripture, John 15, that God has called you and given you a life of purpose. Every day we have the choice to dwell in his life and in his love. But that also is a part of our purpose. And most every day we have an opportunity to respond with openness to his careful pruning work. And the result of that life will be a life that is full of lasting fruit that looks like Jesus' love for others. And I pray for you today. Join me in prayer now. God, I pray for everyone who's watching this, Father, that they would know how great your love for Jesus is and in turn how great the love of Jesus is for each one of them. That they would be aware daily of how they dwell, how they live in that love of Jesus and how you also live in them. I pray, God, that you'd be gentle with your pruning, but that you would prune well so that we would bear more fruit, that we would live the life that you're calling us to live. We love you and trust you, God. We know that you are a good gardener. We look to you for our life. Amen.